This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, good morning. This is Doug Field, the CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, and I'm pleased today to have all two of my other co-hosts today, Ron Bachman, Chairman of Advisory Board. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And Brent Mason, Managing Director. Good morning, Brent. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, thanks. And to our audience out there, good morning to you all, and Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and we hope you all have a very happy new year. You know, this is going to be our final program for the year. We're going to take a little break over the holidays, and... Uh, you know, I want to thank everyone out there in our listening audience, uh, whether you've been a uh, participant on a radio program or a regular listener. I mean, I thank you so much. You know, this pro- radio program has really grown uh, rapidly, uh, not only live, but with downloads via YouTube and our own and our own uh, archives on our website. So it's all of you that make this possible, and we really want to thank you for doing that. We thought we'd spend, you know, the hour today talking about the year. Talking about uh, you know what's happened, transpired this year, not just with the IHC, really in the industry, and uh, and then take a look ahead as to what we see happening in the marketplace the year ahead, and uh, and what we're up to, you know, as we move into uh, 2015. Um, Ron, what are some of the highlights you see as you look back? Well, I think it's interesting to look at highlights and sort of reflect on uh, what's happened in the past year. You know, it was only this year that we had the enrollment in the ACA. So uh, we kind of forget uh, all the problems and troubles they had as we come around to sort of the second year of that. But um, on the industry side, the the account-based plans have continued to grow. Mm -hmm. The HSA-eligible plans, the health reimbursement uh, uh, arrangement-type plans, they've grown. If you take a look at the data, What's happening is the shift, if you use that, and I know we, we define, and I want to get into healthcare consumerism, right. but a significant part of that are the account-based plans. Right. And as they've grown, and they're now about 23 25% of the total market, so one mm-hmm. out of four uh, plans out there are, are, um, are, are account-based plans. What's happened is a shift away from the HMO market, which mm-hmm. was dominant uh, 10 years ago. So over the 10-year period of time, things have gradually shifted as the um, account-based plans have taken hold. And now it's not just that they're offered with a small percentage. Many of them are going to full replacement. And this past year, um, we continue to see that growth. Yep. It slowed down a little bit because people are trying to figure out what to do with the Affordable Care Act and such. But the plans within the Affordable Care Act uh, found that the HSA eligible plans were very attractive. So yeah, they came out very well. They came out very well. well, they thought you know it was going to be hurt along the way. So from the industry standpoint, uh, it's well positioned to take the growth that's happened in the account based plans and continue that into the next year. Um, on the whole concept, the broader concept of um, healthcare consumerism, uh, if you want to call them PPO plans that have uh, various features in there to engage employees mm-hmm. to uh, focus on. On, on health management, decision support tools, employee choice, flexibility options, all those things that we consider to be part of a consumerism movement, giving giving consumers more voice, doesn't have to be an account-based plan. Right. Uh, that's grown even greater, and it's hard to get a, an industry measure on that right. because they don't, they don't count it that way. It's easier to identify the account-based plans. But we know from uh, the work that we've done, we, we've, we know from all the data that comes out around account-based plans and around the general movement towards more wellness and activities, uh, engaging people in various ways, that that movement continues. And I think maybe the best measure of that is if you go on Google, healthcare consumerism. You know, five years ago when, uh, you know, you really started pushing this with the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, you didn't see very much pop up. That's right, exactly right. (laughs) But you do it today and you see all sorts of reports and they use that term, healthcare consumerism.
consumerism. Uh, so it's it's really the uh, continuation of that movement that's happened during this past year. A good solid foundation, uh, and as we've said before, uh, in uh, at the conferences that you put on through the the writings and the publications and and on the radio program here, it doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter what the legislation is. Yes, that moves things faster or slower, but the mega trend of healthcare consumerism, engaging people, is so powerful. It's going to continue. So it's not a temporary phenomena. It is a is a mega trend that we see continuing, and the experience of the industry this past year just just proves that right. Yeah, I think we're moving rapidly through what people call the late stages of early majority adoption into yeah. you know it being mainstream and accepted. I think come back to your point about account based plans. I think you know kind of one of the sister count FSAs are alive and well because of, you know, the regulation that happened there. Uh, with with HSAs, I think, you know, a lot is talked about defined contribution exchanges and how HSAs are fitting very well there. Also in the public exchange, to your point, but then when you come to private exchanges, HSAs are really the plan of choice in exchanges by the consumers because some of these exchanges out there are including the PPO and even the HMO option, but yeah. the consumers are choosing the HSA plan. Well, you know what, the account-based plans, uh, uh, we've really moved into another uh, level of involvement because of the massive amount of money that's being accumulated yep. in the HSA accounts. There's yep. now over $33 billion that are in, and so you have the banking industry very supportive and encouraging, and we've seen that in terms of the sponsorships and engagement in some of the conferences about how, uh, how the banks uh, are wanting to encourage and promote the HSAs for the deposits. So it's, it's now we have the insurance industry, we have the uh, banking industry as the underlying uh, support, but it's really because the consumer wants this. So yeah, and, and at that point, you know, uh, Todd Berkeley with HSA Consulting and John Young, uh, CEO of Consumer Driven, two uh, friends of ours and regular contributors, uh, you know, Todd recently, along with Eric uh, Rimsky with Devonair, mm-hmm. you know, one of the early players as far as talking right. about investments. Right. They uh, spoke this earlier this fall to a group of retirement plan advisors down in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. To your point about yeah. people are looking now at the flow of money and the retirement plan advisors, what they're, they're con- they had a concern and then looked at the opportunity. The concern was we maybe need to get to know this health savings account instrument mm-hmm. because are we going to lose funds to it? Well, one of the but what they came away with, if it is, is. Wow, there's these two instruments that our clients need to be putting money in: the 401k, which mm-hmm. is there, and and the HSA. Well, when you look and and just to piggyback on what you're saying, when you looked earlier in the year, you know, and even in past years, a lot of these banks looked at it and said, "Is this going to be a a good revenue stream for us or a good you know piece of our business?" And fast forward to now, to your point. Now everyone's talking about how you use it as an investment vehicle and not so much talking about, hey, you got to open up this HSA and put this money in here. And it's the discussions move to the, to the, you know, investment vehicle side. So it's not money market that you're going to spend during the year. It's actually now an accumulation of wealth. It's it's an alternative way of of getting some tax free dollars uh, to accumulate uh, to later in life if you need or to that emergency that happens. And you know, what's really happening as well is some of the earliest adopters a few years ago would, would 
really put in the high deductible health plan, which had problems because people can't come up with you know a couple thousand dollars, and the alternative was for uh, dollars to flow into the right. HSA right. to fill up that gap. So even though they used the term high deductible, it really wasn't a high out of pocket or expense when something happens. Now we have more than fifty percent of employers that actually put money into the accounts, mm-hmm. uh, and that that percentage continues to grow. The average number of dollars, according to the, the recent studies. For a single person, when the employer is putting money in, they put in nine hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Now the average deductible is more like uh, around um, eighteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars. So you're filling up half of that deductible with an employer contribution. Yep. Yep. And for a family, the average contribution employers are making uh, is almost seventeen hundred dollars. Yeah. So, so the idea and the um, the negative that came out of the the earliest uh, forms of healthcare consumer, we sort of call Generation One, mm-hmm. uh, are now being mitigated by the dollars flowing yep. in from the employer. And the healthcare consumerism concept even adds to that because employees are able to get contributions on top of that during the year for doing the right things, maintaining their blood pressure to a certain level or or uh, their body mass index, or they're doing the things that the employer wants to reward, uh, filling out a, a health reimbursement mm-hmm. or, uh, or health assessment. So there's... There's lots of different ways that that deductible gap gets filled up with the healthcare consumerism concepts that we continue to see grow. So that's what the industry has really been doing and building on that foundation right. and continued in this past year to do that. And I think you, do, you, take, you take a continued look at plan design, like like we talk about healthcare consumers, isn't just out about the plan design. But plan design is pretty important at driving some of the other elements, too. And you look at the next step around the major medical is the renewed uh, uh, awareness and renewed even some different products being generated around supplemental health benefits, supplemental benefits, to really help that consumer make the right choices on how to manage the risks for their family. Right. You know, Absolutely. whether it's short-term disability, long-term disability, you know, accidental insurance, you know, uh, not as much cancer insurance anymore. Long-term care is evolving. I mean, so so we see that being, you know, woven into plans, not just in the exchanges, but in these full replacement programs that are being put in place. I, I think it's all about choice. And, you know, it's going beyond that because what we set the foundation for and, and your forums have begun to weave this in during this past year again as we look back, that we're going beyond those choices and options in plan design. We're going to choices and options in actual health care delivery. So we have new models that are developing out there during this past year. So it's yeah. a foundation of uh, direct pay, of concierge Absolutely. services, of alternative um, uh, delivery systems out there, telemedicine, all sorts of new vehicles uh, for getting the health and health care services you need. That's just beginning. And so yep. when we get to the next segment, talk about where the future is going. That's the sort of uh, you know initial stages that we see in the marketplace. So we talk about healthcare consumerism and some of the, the future concepts at these conferences and what's next and what's the latest, greatest idea. It's not something we make up. It's not some academic, well, if this was to happen. Right. We actually see these things developing in the marketplace. And because of the, the leadership type of presentations that you're able to bring together through the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism uh, activities, um, we're able to expose a lot of that early on and get people excited and interested in how those things could actually affect their employees' health and health 
care in a very positive way of engaging them a little differently with new ideas, uh, new thoughts, not just new plan designs. Yeah, access to care that you just talked about. I mean, a lot of a lot of innovation taking place there. Health management. You know, it's interesting when you, when we look at the health management piece. Uh, traditionally, if something doesn't work for an employer, they move away from it. Mm-hmm. But today, employers and those working with employers realize that a successful health management program is really essential for their workforce for a lot of different reasons. Risk management, you know, productivity, you know, employee retention, yeah. you know, a lot of way. And, and we see just a lot of innovation taking place there. And, Brent, we've had some guests on the program talking specifically about exchanges, and they all say – as a group, individually and in the company, mm-hmm. group, that their exchange model cannot sustain itself without an effective health management program, and so and, and allowing that health management tool to bend the cost curve for right. that employer. But if you know, you look at this past year, private exchanges just burst onto the scene. I mean, they were they were there, you know, two years ago. But I think this was really the year where. These private exchanges that had these platforms were really able to get out and educate employers, brokers, and insurers really about what their product was. And with the growth of healthcare consumerism over the the years, that concept of educating them about the about what a private exchange is really helped their cause. And you know, Brent, and to your point, I mean, education is absolutely so essential. I mean, we see every day new data points come out about defined contribution exchanges, and some of the data points that come out are really flawed. And that's no nothing against any of the groups, but you know, even the organizations that are providing data sometimes are making misassumptions about defined contributions in private exchanges. Really, people seeking to understand, you know, is this solution right to my workforce? Is it right today? Is it right maybe in 2018? And I think the the common theme is that employers are actively looking at that, which is why we're doing some things that we'll talk about on the segments coming up. It's why we've done some things this year, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, I know we've got about 30 seconds to go on this segment. Uh, we're going to pick up this discussion kind of, again, talking about, you know, where, you know, where this industry has been, some things that we've done, and then start moving in discussion about where we see the marketplace going. Uh, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Hi, this is Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. If you're a solution provider in this marketplace, I'd like to talk to you more about our corporate membership program that will allow you to showcase your solutions in front of our audience who will be making decisions on what they're going to be putting in place surrounding their healthcare benefit packages in 2013 and beyond. Contact me at 770-296-7276 to learn more. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? 
Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Yeah, this is Doug Field along with Ron and Brent. Welcome back to the segment Healthcare Consumer Radio. Kind of picking uh, back up on the reflections backward. I think, you know, some of the other categories that we've seen just a tremendous amount of activity is in, and I don't even want to label it transparency. I know we talk about right, 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 right care, right, right, right price. I think a lot of the players in that space are trying to, and doing a really effective job of positioning themselves as healthcare analytics and engagement tools, which I think is very uh, real and very valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of M&A activity across this whole space, a lot of investment dollars flowing in, you know, from the Castlight going public earlier this year to Change Healthcare being acquired by MDON, you know, B-SWIP being acquired by, uh, Aetna. Yeah, by Aetna, Evolution One being acquired by Wex with $400 million. Just the level of investment flowing into this marketplace from very quality investment firms and the level of acquisition I think is going to pick up tremendously into this new year really is a validation of what you just talked about earlier, Ron. I mean, healthcare consumerism is here. It's being recognized as a as a trend, and the solutions underneath it that work, and the investment dollars are finding their way here to support it, and it, and it's just a big validation of where we are. I, I see the investment dollars in two categories, two two big broad categories. First is the um, new dollars coming in to create new products and services. Mm-hmm. Uh, those uh, angel investors, those, yep. those you know, yep. initial startup companies, and there are a lot of them out there because there is so much money in healthcare. It's still you know, approaching $3 trillion in our economy. It's not going to go yep. down. And so uh, I think the ACA highlighted the, the whole marketplace and, and encouraged a lot more investment in new ideas, yep. whether it's in uh, technology, whether it's in uh, you know, things like telemedicine, or whether it's in new delivery systems. Um, we haven't seen a lot of new insurance companies uh, because that's a big investment, and you know that can, we can continue to see the industry dominated. By I think you have some like you know. I think you've got a very successful example, one with Oscar up in uh, the New York area, and mm-hmm. I think you may see more of that. You know, uh, you, you very well could. Yeah. But there's a lot of investment going into um, uh, various new products and services for the consumer in various ways and shapes and forms, whether it's decision yep. support tools or delivery system. Um, and as in any industry, when you have a lot of that kind of activity growing up, um, sooner or later, there's going to be a merger. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we're seeing more mergers is indication of mm-hmm. the money that's gone in in mm-hmm. the past couple of years and is now starting to mature. Uh, and, and so, you know, the big capital companies that, that, that uh, can, can acquire these, bring them together, bring together resources to complement each other, those kinds of mergers occur to make a greater efficient marketplace. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of that because we still are yeah. in the early stages. Uh, we're going to see more consolidation because that creates a, 
a better business model for folks, more efficiency, and hopefully uh, lower prices and, and uh, more for the consumer as well. So all that shows the maturing of the marketplace. Are we there yet? I don't think so. No. And I think the private exchange is a great example. We've got a lot of private exchanges out there, and I think the private exchange has got uh, sort of a, an interesting boost because – Earlier last year, when the problems of the public exchanges were there, everybody thought, well, that would kind of wash over and uh, everybody would be skeptical about private exchanges. Well, the opposite happened. Everybody said the the exchange idea is good for choice, and private exchanges can do not only health insurance, but they can do life insurance, they can do long-term disability, all sorts of products that the public... the, the, the warts, if you will, the public exchanges came out as the solutions in the private exchanges. Right. And so I think they got a very positive boost at the end of the day, and now they really have to deliver. Uh, and if they can, and, and a lot of them are doing good jobs, but again, we're at a very early stage there. We're going to see more mm-hmm. consolidation. It's a great example of how this industry is moving, but we've got a long way to go. And a lot of these changes in my history uh, over the last 30 plus years is things tend to move slower than you think the great ideas and says oh man that's great you know it's all going to happen within the next 24 48 months this industry is run by people who are very good business people they're going to look for where it's profitable and it's also a lot of decisions are made by human resource people who have the responsibility of in many cases thousands if not tens of thousands of lives and so they're very risk averse yeah, not to say, use that yeah. negatively yeah. but because no. they have the responsibility to do the right thing for their employees because their employees are what make their business run so they move more slowly and we have to see the successes and as the successes occur you see more and more movement to them. That's what the industry is right. in the middle of right now, and I see it just continuing. Yeah, I think the the only potential e- exception to that, particularly around defined contribution and private exchanges, is the very nimble 250 employee to 3,000 mm-hmm. employee life companies. I think those companies have critical mass, they have critical cost concerns, they know they need to compete with the big companies on employee retention and, you know, having quality workforce. So that's why I think I think you may see a more rapid adoption of defined contribution and private exchanges. Because if a defined contribution and private exchange model really does the three principal things it's designed to do, lower cost, reduce resources, you know, and administrative burden on the HR benefit teams. I think there's always going to be more at first, you know, because it's required to get people to be. And third, improve the really complete benefit experience, not just the health plan, but the complete benefit experience for the employees and their families. You know, it mm-hmm. it's going to have rapid adoption. No, no, I think that's a good you know transition, Doug, into some of the highlights that happened here at the IHC. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at you know what we did with PrivateHealthCareExchange.com, led by Jonathan Field and and the team back at the office, you know we started what this year with you know probably twenty exchanges in that database, and now we're at one hundred and eighty. 185. 185. So probably more than that in the queue, I think. (laughs) And so some of the highlights, if you look back at, you know, what we did here at the the Institute, that was a big driver as one of our media properties that you, our listeners, um, you know, really latched onto and went and subscribed to. And that just showed us, you know, by seeing the the uptick in subscriptions there, how people were really trying to understand the private exchange world. Yeah, I think our goal, and Ron, you talk about this all the time. I mean, we, you know, not only is kind of our theme learn, share, connect, not kind of it is learn, share, connect, but underneath that, it's being the originator 
of information, being the aggregator information, and all leading to being the navigator to show people a direction where they can seek to find the information they need to make the right choices, make the right decisions. Well, I think, again, looking back, as Brent's saying, to uh, what, what the IEC has done this past year, I think it's it's really grown from the original um, activities of aggregation and navigation of information to the collaboration. Yeah. And uh, there's been yeah. a lot more collaboration, as you can see, from the growth of the conferences. I mean, look how how expansive the conferences have gotten now. Yeah. You're looking at, at uh, the Atlanta one this year, well over 1,000 people, maybe mm-hmm. 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. And every conference has grown by, you know, 20, 25, 30%. And many of those are people who keep coming back yep. because it's so fresh with ideas. It's so new with the concepts that are out there and keeping people current. So I think one of the big items uh, takeaway this year from IHC is the growth of the conferences that you've been holding and the addition, as Brent was talking about with pri- uh, pri- uh, private exchanges, the addition now in 2015 and all the preparation for that uh, uh, with a uh, private exchange conference. Um, and so I think you take that, you got a new, you got a new website that's uh, uh-huh. better and easier to navigate with more information. You've, we've had the certification program yeah. that you put in this year. It's kept me busy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and talking so much, I lose my voice occasionally. Yeah, but, we're very uh, pleased with that. I mean, that certification program. And, you know, when we look at, you know, kind of the the broad spectrum of people that have been certified, yeah. you know, from every state, from employers, from brokers, solution providers, and consultants. That's how it was set up to really, you know, be that base level certification program to give people really the true understanding of uh, the totality of healthcare consumerism. And I think we, you know, this radio program you're listening to, I think, you know, this is all about content generation around healthcare consumerism. And if we look at this radio program from the influx of, you know, emails that Jonathan's gotten or Doug you've gotten or Ron you've gotten or I've gotten about, hey, we want to be on the radio program or, hey, we listen to the radio program. This is what this is designed for, and this has been a big highlight for us this year because I think it it helps people really understand healthcare consumerism. And, and I was thinking on an earlier segment when you guys were talking is people are starting to understand the depth and the breadth of this space. Mm-hmm. It's not just that, that HSA with the high deductible, as you were saying, Ron. It's a lot bigger than that. And so these resources that, that we're providing and developing and, and taking out to the marketplace for you, the employer, or you, the broker, or you, the solution provider, is really designed for us to help move this industry down the road. And that's a big highlight, I think, for this year is, is we move this industry forward as a group, um, you know, employers, brokers, consultants, and all. Yeah, and, and, and I think... That's a, that's a great time to give a shout-out to anyone that's listening, too, Brent, and not only about the collaboration point about the radio. I mean, we want to make this your radio program. We want to make what we do for you, our program, et cetera. So if you've got some ideas and insights, you have some speakers, you have some contributors, you know, please connect with us. You know, go to our website, you know, uh, com, and seriously, tell us tell us what you want to see. Tell us if, you, if you've got some ideas on how you want to participate with us in any way on our events, on the radio program, across our communities and our publications. And at the same time, tell us where there's an information void. What are things that maybe we aren't covering that you would like to see us cover and that you'd like to see us talk about? And I know when this started, uh, 
it was almost a chore to try to be sure we had uh, the guests invited to the program, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, we wanted to be sure the information got out there. Now people are saying, I'd like to be on the program. And the same thing with the conferences. Uh-huh. Uh, early on, you know, it was, it was tough to get all the sponsors and vendors out there, but the, the brilliance of the structure that Doug put together was get the employers there first, and you get the vendors to the employers, and you get the vendors to the vendors to the employers. Uh-huh. And once people get there now with the growth and the dynam- <coughs> dynamic nature uh, and the energy that's created in those, they keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Not just the audience, but now the vendors keep, want to keep coming. They want a bigger role. They see that this is a real opportunity for them to sell their, their business and to make themselves known, uh, both as vendors and then as participants in the conference. And, and so I think, you know, early on you want to be the voice for healthcare consumers, and that was the other concept. Mm-hmm. And and you just can't say, I'm going to be that. You have to actually do some things, and I think that's what you've laid the foundation. Is the, is it complete yet? Well, I know Doug's got more ideas. He's got more things going on. We'll talk about the future <laughs> of IHC. The classic entrepreneur is not slowing down uh, just to uh, you know pat ourselves on the back for what's going on. So I think that kind of energy continues, and uh, it's very exciting to go to the conferences. It's very exciting to be in this space because there's so much happening in here, and we've got so much to do to try to get that word out and get the industry excited about it and they see us as as being a good voice out there to help their business to help move the ball along with healthcare consumers and that ultimately the goal is to help that individual consumer member of the plan with, with their needs. And that's right, Ron. I think with the last minute we have here on the program, I mean, that was visible in our, our annual Healthcare Consumerism Superstars issue yep. here that just came out uh, over the past month. I mean, the number of nominations that we had this year far outweighed the nominations we had over the past four or five years. Yeah. And so you look at that, and, and that's what that's telling us is that employers – Brokers, consultants, health plans, and solution providers are really getting things done, whether it's around their plan design, whether it's around the solutions they're building as a solution provider to help employers and or brokers. Brokers are better understanding, hey, i got to move towards this consumerism type approach because that's where the market's going. Or if I'm a consultant out there, um, i got to do the same thing to help my employer clients as well. And so with the Superstars issue, um, Chet Burrell was the uh, headliner in that issue there, and uh, that is still online for everybody to go take a peek at. Um, but really good issue and really showed us that this market, you, you our listeners, were really engaged in this whole healthcare consumerism movement. But uh, Classic example of CEO support. It's gone up, up, yep. up, up scale in the companies. The CEOs are really strongly supporting yep. us now. Yep, that's right. And uh, everybody, we are going to take a quick break really quick, and we will back, be back with the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Solution providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director, Brent Macy, today at bmacy at theihcc.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. 
You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Membership. Are you an IHC member? Access to the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's breaking news, industry trends, expert blogs, and networking with IHC's industry-wide member community. IHC membership puts you at the focal point of the dynamic health and benefit industry, allowing you to join the conversation and collaborate with industry stakeholders and your peers. Your IHC membership includes a subscription to Healthcare Consumerism Solutions Magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions Magazine, annual publications Healthcare Solutions Superstars, and Healthcare Solutions Outlook, a free white paper, and much more. Sign up as a free IHC member or $99 premium IHC member today at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field. Uh, welcome back, along with Ron Bachman and Brent Macy, my co-host. Um, you know, we can't look back without looking back at a major election that just took place uh, in November. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a new Congress coming in in January. You know, Ron, that's what you follow dear to your heart. You know, give us kind of some look ahead, you know, scenarios on what may or may not happen. Well, about half of the people who voted for Obamacare are no longer in Congress. Yeah. Um, it was a major campaign issue for the Republicans. Um, with the uh, latest uh, recount uh, victory out west, uh, the Republicans now have the largest majority on the House. In and Louisiana, since, right? Uh, it, uh, Herbert Hoover. Yeah. Well, Louisiana is the yeah, Senate, yeah, but I think yeah, it's Arizona yeah, 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 yeah. was the House. Yeah, that's right. House that's right. That, that uh, pushed them another seat uh, to the majority there. Um, so, so clearly, Obamacare and uh, the support of the president was on the table, <laughs> and 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 the Republicans won not just a normal victory. It was it was pretty much a wipeout. I mean, they gained nine seats in the Senate and and um, you know double digits in, in the House to the largest majority they've ever had. Um, so there there's a responsibility for those um, people elected to um, follow through on their campaign promises, and many of them campaigned on uh, getting rid of Obamacare and slowing down some of the other issues mm-hmm. that have been going on, whether it's IRS scandal or Benghazi or Fast and Furious mm-hmm. or you know all, all those different things that have been going on. People are kind of tired of the the power of a centralized government, and um, and they want something done though. They don't want the Republicans, I think, just to get in there and and stop Obama, right. if you will. They want the Republicans to, to show that they can govern with ideas, and now we're going to have a real debate. The Republicans are no longer in the minority, they're in the majority, and they're going to have to pass something. I think in terms of health care, what it means is, you know, we talk about sort of the life cycle of any kind of um, concept or idea. Mm-hmm. If legislation, regulation, compliance, and litigation. So let's just briefly talk about those in terms of where we're going forward. In terms of legislation, I think the Republicans have a chance to gain uh, votes, even on the Democratic side, make it bipartisan, to pass some legislation uh, on some of the areas where there is agreement uh, and has been agreement, but the Senate and Harry Reid's leadership wouldn't allow votes right. to happen. Getting rid of the um, uh, you know the tax on, on durable medical equipment, for example. Um, I think there's going to be an interesting debate on the employer mandate and the individual say, yeah. mandate. Yeah. The individual mandate is sort of thought of being the glue that if you get rid of that, then uh, you know the whole thing falls apart. But um, I think a lot of people uh, want to be able to choose the plan that they want, not be required to buy a certain type of plan. And I think that's going to be a hard um, 
issue for those who um, are in support of sort of a national health reform, uh, centralized government, uh, Obamacare-type plan right. to argue against. So I think we'll see some of those areas. Right. We may see some changes in loosening up some of the um, um, regulations that mm-hmm. came out that seem to go beyond the law. Um, some of the things like maybe it's a health reimbursement arrangement that are not allowed, does mm-hmm. not allow an employer to put money directly into the purchase of an individual right. policy. You could change things like that. Um, I think the first thing is the Republicans sort of said, uh, you know, we ran on getting rid of Obamacare, and uh, they'll probably pass a bill in the House and the Senate along those lines. Um, but the president will veto it, and they say, okay, we tried, but the president's not going to you know, get rid of it. Uh, they may offer at the same time uh, an alternative. Uh, I don't know if they will or they won't. But I think then they'll get down to real business. I think right. that, that'll be sort of a, you know, I, I promised I'd do it, but, you know, we don't have the presidency, right. so we'll do what we can. Then they'll get down to real business in, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, February, March, April of, of attacking the pieces that are problematic. Yep. Um, they already did, actually, uh, which is a surprise piece that many uh, people aren't fully aware of. In this last budget deal, one of the supports for the insurance industry is called a, a, a risk adjuster, uh, a reinsurance arrangement risk adjuster. The, the thought was that, okay, if, if one company gets all the bad risks and one company gets all the good risks because you can go any place you want, it's a guaranteed issue, that there would be a transfer of funds between the company that got the good risks to the company that got the bad risks. And conceptually, when you think about that, uh, the way it's been presented is that's a zero-sum game. In other words, there's enough money from the companies that got extra to give money to the companies that didn't get enough. But the reality is, underneath all that in Obamacare, there's a government support. And a lot of people think it's a bailout of the insurance industry. That got removed in the budget deal. And and many in the insurance industry have said, well, without that, we're going to have to raise our premiums. 10 to 15 percent to compensate for the fact that the federal government isn't sort of guaranteeing our profits. Hmm. So th- that's not been talked about a lot. But yeah, it's, it hasn't there. been. Right. And it, it's a big hit that the Republicans sort of got through in the budget deal that they did with the Democrats during this lame duck session. So next year, as we look forward, What's the real impact of that going to be? Are we going to see insurance companies now pulling out of the marketplace uh, that got in this year? Hmm. Are we going to see bigger rate increases coming along? Because in the past, the, the government's basically said, well, we don't think you need to raise rates because if you have losses, we're going to be covering them. Right. Well, 85% of the companies right now in their projections show that they're going to be receiving money which obviously you can't have 15% of the companies paying 85%, so there was going to have to be a government subsidy. That's That's been done away with. So I was not even aware of that, Ron. That's interesting. They're picking yeah. away at it, and I think they'll be smart about <laughs> doing that. I think on the on the regulation side, uh, there are a number of things that came out in terms of the wellness uh, and preventive care. And wellness and preventive care services, um, they've already added a few new things in this past year. And I think we may see some additional uh, things come out from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which is the major uh, organization that identifies the need for certain preventive care services. They're constantly studying it. And when it does, it comes out, it's covered 100%. So we may see some of that uh, come into play. Compliance issue is probably one of the biggest things that people that come to our conferences are looking at. You know, how do I comply with all this mishmash and change and activity going on? It's confusing. I don't want to have my employees subject to some penalty. I don't want to be subject to some penalty. I don't want to be in violation of the waiting period requirements or the full-time employee. So we may see full-time employees, for example, change from 30 hours to to 40 hours because there's a concern a lot of people are being put on part-time. We're not having the income and the jobs, and we're getting this wealth disparity because too many people People are working part-time mm-hmm. jobs. So we, we may see a, a lot in those areas. 
One of the more interesting ones right now for our listeners out there, and I know a lot of people are probably following this, is in the um, in the litigation. Um, there is a case the Supreme Court decided to accept around the subsidies uh, for the public exchanges, whether or not um, when the states did not set up an exchange, whether or not the federal government exchange has sort of stepped in the, those shoes is allowed to give a subsidy. Mm-hmm. And um, the clearly the letter of the law, the reading of the law, says you can't. But, again, the administration and the IRS has said, well, we don't care what it says. We're going to interpret it this way, and they're providing subsidies. If those subsidies go away, there's only, I think, about 13 or 14 states that actually have state um, exchanges. And some of the ones that originally set them up actually have said they can't operate and they pulled back. So there's not a growth towards more state uh, exchanges. There's actually a movement away from the state exchanges. Um, that's going to have a big impact. Mm-hmm. In fact, that could Very be actually so. the yeah. dagger in the heart of the entire Obamacare because if people don't get subsidies in all those states, they're going to see the full cost of health insurance. And the, and all this changing in, uh, of the direction where young people are actually paying more and older people are paying less because of the rules under Obamacare. Obamacare, uh, but the administration said, well, don't worry about the young people having to pay more on a gross basis. On a net basis, they have all these subsidies, right. so they're not really right. paying that much. So we're seeing that, that, that cycle now, the litigation, so we're going to be coming back to more legislation. Right. It's also going to be interesting uh, yeah, as we look ahead. Some of the um, exchange, state exchanges... Uh, the funding support from the federal government is going to run out. Is that not correct? It's 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 very difficult. In fact, one of the more interesting experiments that was going on is in um, uh, Vermont. Vermont actually decided that they were going to go single payer. Now they're not. And now they're not <laughs> because they did the analysis, and the governor came out just yesterday or the day before yeah, and that. said, "Listen, we've done our analysis, and it's going to cost us a lot more money than we thought to run a single payer, <laughs> and the federal government support that we thought is now a couple hundred million dollars or 150 million dollars less than what we thought it was going to be, and so we can't go that route." Yeah, he was actually. What was he saying? I thought you probably know exactly. But if they would have done it. The taxes would have gone up to over fifteen percent. They would have had a big tax yeah, increase yeah. and a big sales tax yes. increase, so income yes. and sales yes. tax. Which and they're already having troubles up there with uh, businesses that were concerned. Uh, thinking about either moving out of state or not moving into the state because of the single payer. So, those people who thought Obamacare didn't go far enough, then we should have had a national single payer system. I think you're going to have a hard time arguing why a state couldn't do it. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple and, different and, questions, right, and I don't know if either one of you know the answers. That's why I'm. Ask it the. Uh, do we know how many people have enrolled so far through the private exchange or the public exchanges? Sorry, through the public exchanges yet? You know they've been very careful about the numbers. They they Sorry. throw them out in general and they don't really report them. I mean the general uh, you know information in in the press is you know eight million uh, signed up last right. year. Okay, uh, and they're talking about ten million this year. But the reality is, I saw it and looked at the data is that an awful lot of those that they said signed up with the exchanges were really a Medicaid. Mm-hmm. They weren't what I would call the commercial, private, working poor out there so much as it was Medicaid people who, with the Obamacare, the Medicaid, st- the states that decided to opt for the expansion of Medicaid were giving coverage to adults. So in most states, it's adults with children. So it's the, it's the single mom kind of a thing. Now, they expanded to just adults could get in and and uh, up to 138% of the poverty level. Um, so, so I don't think that, you know, when we talked before Obamacare, that we had 45 to 50 million people uninsured. Right. Right. And if this was supposed to 
solve the uninsured problem or at least get it down to 20 million. Um, that didn't happen, obviously, with 8 million people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people this year are, are, not, are not, just like with employees, if you tell an employee, okay, we're going through a renewal, and most of them don't want to do anything, so they get enrolled with what they had last year. What's happening with Obamacare is, again, most people are not going to re-enroll and find a different plan. They're going to get the same plan for their inactivity, and they're going to see that the costs go up pretty dramatically when it gets around to January so, premiums. So here's my next question. What do you see, and I know we got one minute before the break, but quickly, what do you see what's the solution to that so say for instance all this happens in congress next year what happens to all these people who are sitting there you know who may have enrolled what happens to them if i'm an employer out there and now my employees are coming back from a public exchange saying hey i'm out of that now is it, does that cause more issues? Well, we're still going to have, I think, under any proposal, ultimately, we're going to have the guaranteed issue. You're not going mm-hmm. to eliminate underwriting. Mm-hmm. Now, you may uh, see, it'll be interesting to see some of the proposals. Uh, Tom Price, uh, one of our local representatives here in Georgia, has got a pretty good plan. Um, you, you had uh, a number of Republicans with their own plans, and they're going to actually have to now put that uh, in some more solid uh, proposal for the American people and have a real discussion. I think we could have things like a, a national um, uh, high risk pool that people would go into. Um, I don't know what all the answers are. I mean, I've, I've looked at various programs, and that would be a whole different couple of hours to talk through those different options. But I think, if, for example, if you got rid of the individual mandate, people would be able to go get by the policies that they were purchasing before that were a lot cheaper, that covered what they wanted to cover. You weren't a single male, uh, age 20, and you have to pay for, for maternity care, for example. Uh, right now, even a lot of young people um, are, are, are in, enrolling in non-qualified plans that are about a half to a third the cost of Obamacare and they are subject to a penalty, but the penalty is not that great and it's hard for the government to collect it. And if they do get sick, they wait for the open enrollment and get into an exchange program. Well, what will happen I think in the future is those policies that they had before that were catastrophic policies that covered them for major illnesses that's what they wanted and what they what they wanted to pay for and what they could afford. They had other options. Those policies could come back into the market pretty quickly. Well, everybody, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we've got one more segment coming up on Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com 
Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Healthcare Consumerism Radio. This is Brent Macy, Managing Director of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, along with CEO and founder Doug Field and Chairman of our Advisory Board, Ron Bachman. And in this segment, uh, Doug, I know you wanted to talk about what's ahead for uh, the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. That brain is... uh, always turning seems like it never shuts off kind of give our uh, listeners a feel for what the institute's going to be doing in the new year yeah let's all talk about it you know i think that if you look across you know the platforms or what we're doing let's talk about events events um you know very thankful for any listeners that are attended and participated sponsors and ron was talking about it earlier our our events are going to c- continue to grow our june event it will be june 23rd 25th here in atlanta will uh, approach 1100 1200 people and it's not about the big numbers you know because we're never about the big numbers we're about the quality of people there and the energy that they create uh our west coast event will be the 16th through the 18th in november uh and that'll go uh to close to 600 people but it's a content that's going to evolve too you know we talk about digital health we talk about health management we talk about access to care we talk about direct contract relationships and you know what are doctors doing and what are provider networks doing to change certainly defined contribution exchanges account-based plans you know engagement transparency i mean the whole footprint of healthcare consumerism will be throughout our program and trying to bring that innovation to bear in our program i mean one of the things that you know we sometimes pat ourselves on the back about is that we are out ahead of the curve. The things that keeps us humble is when we hear attendees say, can you be a little more out ahead of the curve? So, you know, we're excited about our events. We're also excited about the IEC University and uh, the continued expansion of our certification program. But probably one of the the most important things you're going to see us do next year is really uh, bring all the industry research together in one place and IEC market insights within the IEC University. University and then evolve and and produce for the industry a really state of the industry report uh, at our June event, which will be a compilation of all the quality uh, data that's out there right now, along with original data points that uh, we will be pulling together. So in one place and kind of a coffee table type of report, you know, as well as you know, accessible online will be you know, what it where is the where do the experts see this industry and where do we see this industry and where and where is it going so those are some of the, those are kind of some of the highlights there you know brent you might well, want to add to it so you yeah. talked about the two oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Events. what about the newest one well i was kind of saving that the best for last okay. that um 
We're very excited about, you know, what's happening in the private exchange market. And, again, our goal is not uh, necessarily to be an advocate. Our goal, I, I'm a big believer in defined contribution private exchange. Our goal is to be the information resource, the place where the industry comes together to seek to understand, you know, what are the right solution sets. And the defined contribution and exchange content is very prevalent at our current forums, very prevalent across our platforms. You know, we do healthcare exchange solutions publication you know, as Brent talked earlier we have the industry uh, really exclusive database on private exchanges uh, that'll approach 190 you know exchanges in there probably when, when the next release comes out you know the first of the year but we saw a real need to you know devote a conference exclusively to the discussion around defined contribution and private exchanges and we we're also attracted to a region in this country that has quality employers and while we'll pull from national we all always like to find a place where we can pull heavily from 120 mile radius so we're going to dallas march 31st through april 1st so there's a couple of things that are significant there the information that we're going to focus on 100 percent discussion on defined contribution and private exchanges and again all the different moving parts of the right solutions the time of the year you know, we're very pleased to be able to put it March 31st through April 1st, which is very well time for key benefit buyers and those looking for them to be making those decisions on what they should do with their workforce next fall, meaning a 2016 plan year, and the region of the country. You know, we're uh, Dallas is filled with quality employers. So is Houston. So is San Antonio and Austin and the whole Southwest. Dallas is an easy city to get to from Chicago from Denver, from Atlanta, even from New York. So we're very pleased to be putting this event in Dallas, Texas, March 31st through April 1st. I I would add one thing to that, Doug, uh, because a lot of people listening in um, probably get a lot of notices about conferences going on, and and, uh, private exchanges is, you know, all over uh, different conferences, and we certainly build it into our conferences as part. But the uniqueness for those listening, say, why this conference? Why would I want to go to this one? Is because we're trying to also emphasize the intersection of consumerism with the exchanges. Because exchanges is about choices, options, flexibility, and it's exactly what we talk about when we talk about consumerism. So if you want to see how your consumerism strategies, your consumerism approaches matches up with private exchanges, this is the place. Everybody else just talks about private exchanges as if they're they're, they're out there, uh, you know, in left field. On their own, yeah. (laughs) It's not. They're connected back, and I think this kind of intersection and the emphasis on healthcare consumerism and private exchanges gives it a real unique twist and an important twist and an important uh, variable for somebody considering going to one of these conferences. Yeah, we yeah we really see define we really see uh, private exchanges as a catalyst for consumerism. Right? Yeah, and then and I think you know and Doug you had, had talked about this in the offices we we kind of sat back and watched all the private exchange conferences take place this mm-hmm. year. We didn't we didn't want to run out there and and just do something willy nilly because we saw a market opportunity. We really went out and studied and said and went to these events that were out there and said what are they doing right and what are they not doing so right and how can we how can we you know better our franchise and put an event uh, around private exchanges and you know really talk more about what we had always talked about in our anchor forums and one sole event and then looking right at dallas um you know doug i know you've inked a couple um partnership deals with some groups both nationally and uh locally in the state and uh city of of dallas yeah i mean important that to your point brett is that 
employer, employer, employer. Ron, you talked about that earlier. Employer, employer, employer is always our focus, getting those employers there. And the first place we went was to embrace Dallas Business Group on Health. And we're very pleased that Dallas Business Group on Health has agreed to support Private Exchange Forum, provide speakers, you know, in our program. But equally, more importantly, promote it to their members and goes beyond Dallas as well. I mean, they have opened the door for me uh, and us in Houston with the Houston Business Coalition that is looking to come behind us, Austin and San Antonio. So really to get our message out throughout Texas and and get that support from those employers throughout the Texas region. And then on, on a national basis, uh, you know, producers are very key to us too. And Nahu is a big supporter of us across our events and they're coming in and supporting our uh, Dallas event or our private exchange event that's a national event coming to Dallas and then the Texas Underwriter Association is coming to mm-hmm. support what we're doing. Now that's you know for everybody that's the three events and then you know something that's that's coming up just around the corner um, in the new year is our annual healthcare consumers and solutions outlook issue yeah. and this is something we've done ever since we launched. Um, I'm going to get the number wrong might be eighth or ninth <laughs> issue um, of this annual issue of this but what it is 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 Ron takes the lead uh, in the issue and really gives the overarching perspective on healthcare consumerism and all the moving pieces that you've heard us talking about on this program. But then following that, um, the issue is broken into different categories that make up what you hear us talking about around healthcare consumerism and leading um, people from academia, um, non-solution-oriented providers lead each one of those categories. So as an example, we've had... um, I think it's Gil and, and from Eastbridge, um, consultant Gil and Bonnie have done their outlook on the supplemental voluntary health space and what's the outlook for 2015 in that specific industry. And solution providers can come behind um, their outlook and talk about where they see their business moving forward. And you talk about a critical issue mm-hmm. um, for next year. The outlook on this market is tremendous, as yep. we've been talking about. Yep. And so the opportunity there, not only for the content providers, um, whether you're academia um, and the solution providers, is going to be tremendous, and it's going to be a very well-read issue. Yep. Yeah, I want to go back a little bit to what Doug was saying, because it complements the outlook that will come in a little later. And that's this whole new initiative and the challenge to staff that Doug has put on the table around market insights. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the first thing there is to uh, – I think to uh, to build on the role and the process that has been so successful of aggregating information and allowing a better na- navigation. Now everybody can go out and find different surveys, whether it's the Kaiser, you know, benefit studies, or it's a uh, AHIP, or it's some other, uh, uh, you know. Um, consultant uh, house out there that's providing support. You can go to lots of different websites and try to give yourself, but nobody's really put it together where you can go to like a library. And once that's done, and it's going to take some time and effort and good research to pull in really qualified uh, studies that uh, that are verified and, and, and usable, then take that information and, and, and show the trends. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that many people put together the real trends of this industry. Uh, we know them. We see them in various reports. But trying to be able to uh, support the outlook concepts in that document of people writing, here's where I think it's going with the numbers and the information on mm-hmm. the growth of the marketplace, whether it's numbers, whether it's accounts uh, uh, that are accumulating, whether it's um, the various number of vendors out there, investment flows, all sorts of ways that we can show the trend and then see 
where it's going well, where it's not going so well, where there's some opportunities that we can encourage people to do more in some areas. But, again, it's not an advocacy-type piece. It's a factual piece that shows where we are as an industry. It's going to be very important, I think, to the listeners and the current uh, members of the Institute. Yeah, I think it, uh, that's well said. And, you know, um, the final thing before we uh, part here for the end of the year is that, uh, you know, we're going to tease you a little bit. Look, go to our website, check it out, because you're going to see a new program roll out in January called IHC Insider. And IHC Insiders are going to have exclusive access to things like IHC Market Insight. And from Brent, we're going to steal a little page from ESPN, I think, yeah. there at IHC Insider. Uh, to our audience out there again, we thank you so much. Uh, you, you know, you mean a lot to us. Uh, you know uh, that you follow us. We hope uh, you continue to find this information informative. We want you all to have a very safe uh, and joyful holiday season. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we will see you in the new year. Signing off. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio, designed just for you.